from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time kind of a mixed bag. Earnings season is in full swing here as we've gotten good numbers from Tesla, from Netflix, and a bunch of other companies. But right now, we're kind of having the markets react more to the fact that the U.S. 10-year has hit 5% for the first time since, you know, kind of ominously 2007. So bond fever's back on the table Earnings are all over the place. There's a lot more noise than signal. So let's try to unpack what's happening in these markets and get sort of to the actual meat of the markets right now. As always, to help me sort of unpack what's happening here in the markets, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? Where are you calling in from today, dude? Uh, out in New York today, meeting with investors, going through markets, uh, reviewing earnings, looking at next week's updated earnings talking through conflicts in the Middle East, oil outlooks, and really just starting to get into the meat of Q4 here, which is usually um, outside of probably Q1, the most uh, impactful time of the year. Exactly. And of course, watching gold prices too, as they just continue to creep up as we're still seeing a little bit of that flight to safety, but of course, not enough of a flight to safety to drive bond yields back down below their wild new highs of, you know, it's still over 5% now. Audience on the recorded line, we're probably seeing that a lot higher. Um, we're just waiting for Jerome Powell to come down and uh, calm us down here, dude. Uh, but we yeah, don't get exactly. I mean, we're, we're you know, 30 year mortgages are sitting near 8%. Um, it's just a a crazy time we're living in, but you know we were talking about this before. You zoom out to seventies and eighties, and interest rates were even higher. You know, north of ten percent for the the ten year. So obviously, mortgage and everything were significantly higher than that. So it's uh, feels crazy in uh, in isolation, but when you zoom out, you know it's just. Not not as bad as everyone thinks it is. Exactly. And the only things you're seeing right now really are sort of like the volatile temper tantrums being thrown by a market that it just got way too used to a way too insane uh, 0% interest rate effectively, right? Like we are going back to normal when it comes to interest rates. We're not leaving normal. There's no way we could have kept that ridiculous sort of monetary policy going. It's amazing we kept it going as long as it did. Of course, it got hammered, it got destroyed by COVID. But either way, now we're going to be in a period of volatility as the markets completely realign what is valuable and what is not. And what you're seeing is a lot of people, you know, react pretty bleakly to it. Chief amongst those, let's just start going down earnings. Uh, let's just start going down earnings here, Justin, just kind of company by company. Headline here is Tesla and Elon Musk's sad boy tour where he complains about interest rate interest rates instead of like actually reporting on his company's earnings. Uh, Tesla's down pretty hard this week as uh, both deliveries and margins have gone down a lot for Tesla as they're sort of working through a lot of realignments. Elon went out and blamed interest rates entirely for this, even though that makes zero sense in terms of like an actual reason to reduce your cars. Like going down these numbers, Justin, um, are things as bleak as they should be here? Or are we still kind of bullish on Tesla in the long term? Like how do they kind of realign their way out of a very bleak Q3 earnings report? Yeah, I mean, to your point, in our opinion, the Q3 earnings report was definitely one of the most cautious we've seen. Tesla really ever been in, in recent years. Um, you know, to your point, they're talking about most of the macroeconomic environment. So rising rates, consumer strength, affordability, stuff, stuff like that. Um, and then also in the short run, them talking about uh, expectations for the Cybertruck and when that will launch. Um, ultimately, it, it should launch uh, relatively soon, but it's really the pace of the deliveries that they're watching for. Um, but past that, you know, the company is really expected to start to dilute their margins. Um, and that's really why there's a, a lot of a sell-off so far. Um, 
they're they're decreasing prices pretty substantially to the point with Cybertruck. Um, ultimately, deliveries are going to be down significantly, and they're going to take longer than originally anticipated. And then past that, they're they're spending a lot of money on R and D. It's actually five billion dollars annualized, um, according to the company. Most of that spend is coming for a new product design, Cybertruck, and then what we've talked about before. Their AI supercomputing via uh, what they're calling Dojo and Optimus um, hasn't really received a ton of attention in recent years, but as of today, given how much it's up and how much it's bringing margins down, definitely gotten a, a huge focus. So for us, you know, in the short term, you know, lowering the price target and expectations a bit, but over the long run, remaining overweight um, and really starting to defend this stock, you know, more and more as it enters potentially a little bit of period of volatility. And so to us, the, you know, there's a, a whole host of reasons we feel that way. But the main arguments for us is, again, we, this is what we've been saying for years now, is that Tesla is just, you know, they're more than just a car company, obviously. They have like AI, they like have their mobility side, they can license out battery technology, full self-driving, energy, insurance. Like there, there's a whole host of things they're doing. They're doing it better than most. And they're vertic- starting to vertically integrate more and more, which is super important um, in the world where supply chains for electric vehicles are extremely complicated and change all the time. Um, so right now, we really see them continuing to evolve over the long run and really has long-term growth potential to really spit off a lot of free cash flow once a lot of these products mature. Like they're still you know, positioning themselves as a growth play. And for a company that has close to a trillion dollar valuation, it's, you know, it's obviously a a tough a tough proposition for a lot of people to really take in, um, and that's that's those are things we're we're really looking for in the in the long run and believe that they can they can deliver on it. But again, in the short run, we're decreasing revenue expectations, decreasing lower gross uh, profit, um, and then ultimately decreasing operating margins as well. Again, still love the company in the long run. We invest in the long run, but in the short term, there's definitely going to be a lot of headwinds. Um, you know, as Elon has uh, so specifically called out. And to give you more context, listeners, one big thing that the market is punishing Tesla for is just how much they are going all in on sort of the research and development side of things. Uh, Research and development's up over 50% year over year. Tesla is not only, you know, becoming the most powerful visual computing sort of entity on the planet, but they're also dumping huge resources into their Optimus robot, which the market isn't super sure, like, what that is like we actually topped 1.1 billion dollars in rod expenses for just one quarter which is crazy justin told you about the 5 billion annualized like that's just getting bigger and bigger if they if this gamble works out on the full self-driving side of things that's huge even if it doesn't they still have opportunities to make money on licensing out sort of their visual processing technology for things that actually can exist in this material universe. Another thing that they're getting punished for is that they've actually allowed their SG&A expenses to balloon about 30% in the last year in a moment where everyone else is going on to the efficiency model. So Tesla is still all in on growth to heck with efficiency. The market doesn't want to see that. So Justin, you mentioned our price target for Tesla has them becoming a trillion dollar company again, and we're still thinking about refining that. We're still going to be... staying high on that price target, but this is the prove-it year for the whole idea of Tesla as a software company. They're going to achieve a lot of their goals in terms of a fully realized dojo system between Q4 2023 and Q4 2024. 
And the other thing I would like to point out too, just to you know give you something to chew on if you are just like a wounded Tesla bull right now, the main reason we're seeing revenue go down is because of all of the upgrades they did in their factories and if they're going to bite or not and have success. And the main thing to point out is that they've managed to significantly reduce their costs of goods per sold vehicle, which means that it's accelerating and it's only going to continue to accelerate as they continue to refine their new factory processes and break ground on their Mexico factory. So long term, there's a lot of avenues for Tesla to get back to a trillion dollar valuation. Short term, uh, they're down 15% uh, on the week and they're sitting at a $666 billion valuation as we record this, which is only a little ominous. So, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. You're going to see this kind of volatility and it's honestly almost encouraging to see, you know, a non sort of what's the word I want to say, delusional outlook from this company. But it's also like all the all Tesla really has to do is to adopt the efficiency model and get SGNA more under control and the market's going to jump right back on them. So as we look at that, you know, there's other sides to this too. There's also huge gains this week. So we're going to move on from Tesla. We're going to get into sort of like the biggest winner of the week, which I'm, Justin, I'm pretty sure that's Netflix. Um, they have absolutely surged in the last five days because the market expected them to add maybe like 6 million paid subscribers and they added something like 8.8. .8. So turns out if you do a password crackdown, you're going to win. When you look at the numbers here though, Justin, like anything else powering this? Like is Netflix just kind of winning the writer's strike with their pivot to more reality TV? When you look at the Netflix numbers, like, how are we seeing them become successful? And can they kind of keep this up and get back to their July highs? Yeah, I mean, previously with Netflix, like we were just always very cautious on growth expectations because their business was so mature and there was obviously so many entrants from Hulu, Amazon, you know, a, a ton of other platforms, HBO. But now it's showing that, you know, paid sharing and advertising ultimately are coming in a lot higher than expected. Um, and so, so far, the, the expectations, like I said, have just been absolutely blown out of the water. And the sentiment around the advertising opportunity in particular has really changed a lot as the investment cycle has changed into 2024. And so that's caused us to reiterate, or not reiterate, but actually change our price target, which is going to be coming out probably either next week or the week thereafter, um, ultimately that we think the business is in a very different area. And that's because, again, outside of the advertising, the past that like we're looking at the business and it looks like a lot of what they're doing is working. So the password crackdown is working. Um, and that's and the competition, like, again, for the last few years has been strong, but it's really starting to pull back now that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to have 26 streaming platforms, they're going to choose a few and it looks like Netflix is going to be in that select few. Um, and so now going forward, uh, it really increases our conviction, our conviction in their growth. And puts them in a position where, like, their the risk reward is finally, you know, after a long time for us, in a very in a very favorable position. And so we think they have a really strong opportunity to execute, and then ultimately return, uh, imp continue to improve return on any content spend they do. For us, this really drives a clear framework for how Netflix will ultimately build the business going forward. Um, and then again, just gives us more conviction and growth after what we saw was significantly better than expected results. Um, again, for you, those of you not paying attention, uh, the net new ads that they had from a subscription standpoint absolutely blew expectations out of the water. Um, and it's really, you know, very, very big for our outlook going, going forward. So we, after, again, a very long time of being equal weight, are going to be shifting our strategy with Netflix to overweight. 
and sort of like to go through what that means too. like one big bear narrative with Netflix is that the main reason they're in a strong position right now is they basically had zero expenses over the summer. Um, so when you look at their both in like raising their prices and raising their member numbers, is there anything Netflix can also do to sort of like keep the profitability they've been go- uh, maintaining for the past, you know, couple of months? Or is that something the market's going to kind of price in now that they can start writing again and, you know, start actually developing shows again once the sag after strike resolves? Yeah, so a lot of it, to your point, I mean, prices, costs have been down because it's been hard to make contact, content given the strikes. Um, but a lot of this for us, we believe, is going to be a huge opportunity from a growth perspective, as well as starting to get other key already, like, made content back onto the platform. So um, that's been a, a huge growth driver. So, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, for example, like you look at Suits, which was formerly a USA Network show ultimately got onto Netflix and has been, you know, a huge way they've been able to grow. And then in general, Netflix is leading scale, which is basically gives it the potential to be kind of like the highest bidder for premium licensed IP. Um, so ultimately, yes, that could increase costs, but they're ultimately now going to have higher LTV of their users in the long run. So long story short, we think that like from their own original content, as well as investing in external content, this is going to continue to make Netflix a, a, a differentiator, which will increase LTV and maybe increase costs in the short term, but ultimately gives them a more, you know, value additive business in the long run, another differentiator. So we're we're still, you know, now going forward, pretty big believers in the business. And I think it's really critical too. not only that, but also just the way they have absolutely ruled reality television if you are on certain corners of the internet the only thing you're hearing about is our shows like love is blind and the way they are just able to absolutely crank out content from those styles of shows like deeply efficient production and also deeply engaging and ultimately addictive and that's how they're able to hold on to subscribers like one thing that you saw sort of in the 1.0 era of streaming was HBO was always struggling because what would happen is people would pay for HBO for like three months when Game of Thrones was on and then for the rest of the year not care about it. So Netflix has really kind of sort of begun to master the model of making, first of all, more subscribers now with their password crackdown, but also making their product more sticky so those subscribers stick around, which is the entire name of the game when you get the multiples from recurring revenue. So excited to see that. We're excited to begin shifting to the bull narrative, but we're also obviously going to be refining that a lot before we actually put out a price target on Netflix. We want to see sort of like the rest of earnings season as we develop our thoughts on it. So we got the strong bear story of the week, which was Tesla. We have the biggest bull story of the week, which is definitely Netflix, unless I missed something today, which is today is very bearish thanks to 5% yields, right? So it's getting more into the mixed bag series of the markets here, Justin. And so the main thing is just checking in on finances, right? Um, We got the rest of bank earnings this week, or at least the majority of banks. And, you know, it is a a really big mixed bag because there's so much going on in these markets. We had JP Morgan absolutely pop off. But at the same time, this week, we had Morgan Stanley struggling a lot, Bank of America not, not doing the best. Like, I'm really having a hard time making heads or tails of this. And this is a little bit more of your background, Justin. Kind of high-level look at uh, bank earnings. Should we have any concerns about weakness moving forward? Or is the price action we're seeing just more like bear sentiment? Yields be too high, so I'm going to not invest in equities. When you look at this, what do you what are you thinking about finances right now? Yeah, so I mean, looking to your point, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. And that's because it you know, finance is very bifurcated. So you have companies like Goldman that have historically made a lot of money off IPOs. And then you have consumer banks that are making money off, you know, checking accounts and and things of that nature. So a lot of the negative sentiment has been 
from the IPO market, which has historically been a huge moneymaker for banks. And so a lot of the anticipation, and this is an example of how like higher rates hurt the economy, a lot of the anticipation was that Jerome Powell and the Fed would lower rates, which would mean higher valuations. And with higher valuations, a lot of the companies that have waited to go public would finally start to come public. And it looked like that was going to start when Kava went public and then a few others. Um, but ultimately, now that it looks like they're going to keep rates higher for longer, you know, IPO activity is not what it originally was thought going to be, you know, in the first half of the year. And that's why we've seen a little bit mixed earnings from the bank so far. And a huge reason for that, again, is the the companies that are private don't want to go public if their valuations aren't going to be high. It just doesn't make sense. They're going to have to give up too much of the company and not get enough capital in return. And so the companies that can afford to wait are, and the companies that can't aren't. And so outside of Kava, which was actually a pretty good IPO, the Army IPO, which we were staying away from, and you know we cautioned everyone who listens to us to stay away from as well, is an example of companies that need cash go public and are trying to use that for future funding. But a company like SpaceX, for example, that continues to do really well is staying private and continuing to increase their valuations. So we're starting to see more of this bifurcation, which again, for the investment banking related functions of banks, which are huge money makers, has hurt them. And so this is just yet again, another example of how higher rates hurt the economy in some way, shape, form or other. And so we've seen very, very mixed bank results so far. The companies that don't rely on this as much and rely more on wealth management, other sides of the business have had the chance to do actually pretty well. Um, but it's it's very much a, a mixed bag. And again, goes goes with the sentiment of not fighting the Fed because they really, really control ultimately how stocks and the rest of the economy performs. And to give you another indication there, audience, like if you have been like really a long time listener here at Moba, you know that for the past year we've been kind of clamoring for SpaceX to spin Starlink into the public markets. And that's very much a 2022 view of the market. Um, you're seeing so much money on the private side of the investment scenario, right? You're seeing so much private money just like keep raising rounds for SpaceX. Like Justin said, if you can afford to stay private, you're going to stay private because you're going to get access to a lot more capital. And a lot of these IPOs are just joyless cash grabs at this point. To Justin's point, we are going to actually initiate coverage tomorrow if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast in Kava, which has finally hit leveled off at a level where uh, we buy into their growth path. They're going to grow reasonably well. And the sell-off they had was just the market kind of being freaked out about people not buying food over the summertime. Um, so they got a little overbought on a little too much hype. And then Chipotle kind of poured cold water all over the fast casual industry. But things are popping back. Their margins are great. And they're going to expand into potentially even higher margin areas. So love the stock. It's a very exciting new strategy. But, you know, wait for us. Wait for the actual post to drop audience and if you are you know a listener not a subscriber to moby.co as always check us out over at app.moby.co uh, see what we got going on in terms of our long long-term perspective get a free trial read that copper report and you'll see you know where we are anticipating the food industry to go we've got a lot of really good food picks it turns out there's a lot of like good margins and good expansions happening in the fast casual space and we're going to grab uh, some upside while we can especially since there's so much volatility everywhere else in sort of like high growth areas of the economy beyond that justin like uh, we're still, you know, trying to figure out what's happening in green energy. We're still trying to 
understand um, exactly how bond rates are going to impact broader equities. Um, obviously, it's a bad, bad time to be in a utility stock because you rely on your dividends, and all of them pay dividends that are less than you know even 4% for the most part. So they're getting killed in terms of people just being like, well, I only invest in this for the dividend, and you're less than treasury yields, so I'm just going to put my money in the free money with uh, the treasury yields, right? So we're still figuring that out. We're still trying to game out exactly how returning to, air quotes, normal interest rates, which honestly should be, you know, around 5%, right? Um, you know, 5, 4, maybe even 3, if the Fed gets really cute with it, if inflation goes down faster than we actually anticipated. When you look at this, Justin, uh, I guess the main question is, is like, how else are other things going to change? One thing our audience has asked us a lot about is... Um, are we getting back into crypto anytime soon? Bitcoin popped 10% this week, Justin, because everyone's talking about the spot Bitcoin ETF is going to come any day now. JP Morgan said they're going to see it in the next couple of months. Coinbase uh, put out a press release saying they anticipate it within you know the next couple of weeks. Everyone's saying, ah, it's finally time. But even if a spot Bitcoin ETF actually hits, are people going to invest in crypto or is crypto a phenomenon that only works in a zero interest rate environment? Just tell me what your thoughts are there real quick, dude. So, I mean, this is something that we've been saying for a few years now, <clears throat> and it's really that, you know, maybe some portion of crypto would work out a few coins, but 99% of it would go to zero. We saw that in the first run up in like 2016-ish, 2017, and then the crash in 2018, and then the subsequently the rise in 2022, or 2021, and the collapse in 2022, 2023. And so that's kind of been the our, our overall narrative and theme on it so far, and it's continued to kind of play out that way. And so Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, maybe a few others have continued to rise, but I think a lot of the sentiment around crypto in general, obviously, is that that is not coming back. And, you know, this time after working a decade or two on the project could very well be the case. But having said that, there's still a lot of money in crypto. Um, I would not be surprised on the next, you know, overall just bull run of the economy to see more money pumped into their new projects and new use cases outside of NFTs. Not saying that any of this will end up panning out in the long run, but I would not be surprised to see that happen all over again. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But at least in the short term, you know, crypto is a very risk on asset. And we've seen that now over the last few years. Um, if people are displaying risky behaviors and are looking for high levels of return, they'll put their capital there. And if they're being very protective and looking for safer areas of investment, it is not an asset that is ultimately negatively correlated with inflation, which we've seen so far. So long story short, you know, the sentiment on crypto for us hasn't changed. Um, but And we'll see how this, you know, spot ETF comes in. A lot of this uh, ultimately is, a, you know, buy the, buy the rumor, sell or buy the rumor, sell the news. So we'll see how it ultimately plays out. But, you know, for us, this is not much more of a, a short-term catalyst unless, you know, something does get approved and ultimately, you know, billions are poured in. We'll, we're happy to sit that on the sideline from a risk perspective until that really shakes out. But uh, yeah, we're we're continuing to be very, very cautious on the space overall as we've been so far. And one thing I want to keep hammering home here to audiences, what we've been saying about the broader crypto industry for a long time now. I like the fact that it's crypto winter still. I like the fact that you can kind of see what these projects are actually valued at, and you can actually see sort of the development activity on all of these networks because, you know, the fundamental sort of idea of crypto is how transparent it is. And so the thing we're waiting for still is for a lot of these companies to sort of demonstrate actual utility. And now that we are out of this um, 
guaranteed place of 0% interest rates, uh, a lot of that money is not going to flow into the crypto space because Bitcoin maybe has some value as a store of value. Maybe projects like Ethereum can create new networks. Maybe projects like ICP are actually better at sort of recreating the infrastructure for which you use to connect the internet together. But we haven't seen any broader utility from a lot of these companies really pop up in the last year. And that's really something we, sh we needed to see, right? We're going to keep holding on to our speculative crypto portfolio. Um, I mean, there's really no point in selling it now, right? It's mostly Bitcoin, Ethereum, a little bit of Solana, a little bit of ICP, and then a couple of other like deeply speculative coins. But right now, it's one of those things where, Justin, do you think we're going to transition to being kind of like perma crypto bears if interest rates stay high? Or is there anything we can do to maintain optimism for this industry? It's hard to be optimistic when a lot of the promises haven't panned out so far. So I don't... I think there's a difference between whether the market goes up and whether there's actual use cases that ultimately pan out. I think the market will resume at some point from the crypto perspective as people, again, exhibit risky behavior and are looking for an asset that has, in theory, unlimited upside. But in terms of actual consumer use cases or use cases that are used in businesses, you know, we're definitely very skeptical to see that play out because we haven't seen it materialize so far. Exactly. And I think that's the main thing. Like, we'd rather be late to the party because if, like, an actual use case pops up and we're starting to get really bullish about the industry, you always want to be late to the bull run rather than catch the falling knife, right? And that's going to be a really important principle, especially during moments of volatility like this, as we suss out exactly where this market is going to go. Again, you're seeing a lot of bear sentiment. You're seeing a lot of companies really start getting hammered by market conditions, but there's still a lot of strength. And I think that's what we're going to see next week as one of the stronger sectors of the economy from this year gets to reporting earnings. So Justin, we have a little bit of time left. Uh, let's do a quick earnings outlook. So main thing is Meta and Alphabet next week. Big, is Big Tech going to continue its run? Or is it one of those things where we're going to see them kind of get compressed too and really start to see that bear sentiment creep in across the wider market as we get a better sense of just like how hard it is to work in this interest rate environment? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's going to be indicative of like not what they do but third parties so meta has really done well this year because a lot of their advancements in ai it's in improved then like experience on the platform for advertisers and so they brought in more capital especially as the valuation has sold off um, have brought more capital in from a revenue perspective uh, given product enhancements for their brand partners and so again a lot of the expectation for brand partners was we're going to spend more on, on money because money is going to become cheaper and the expectation and outlook are better. But again, over the last month or so, expectations have totally changed. And not that they can't change once more, but the expectation now is that, again, maybe a soft landing's coming. The Fed's rates are higher for longer. Companies need to be cautious. They're not going public. And so it's kind of this like yin and yang that we're bouncing back and forth be between. And it only takes you know a few data points change to make the Fed's decision change. So if they come out in their next meeting or by the end of the year or early next year and say, you know, we're done raising, we're actually going to start decreasing at X time, well, then the party's back on. So I think ultimately Meta and a few of these other companies will probably do well, um, but ultimately the stock is probably going to be muted uh, unless there's like really big surprises to the upper downside until, again, we get a further mood from the Fed and we can understand where the, the overall economy is going. Uh, Meta and Google obviously are make the bulk of their revenue from advertising. And, you know, even if the product's amazing, um, advertisers aren't going to go up and above if they don't have the budget to do so. Um, so I think at the end of the day, people are always going to spend money, but are they going to get, you know, those incremental dollars that make revenue soar? I think it's a little yet to be seen. 
from what we've seen this far so far they've done well but i think the outlook is what's really going to hold them back is our expectations and that's the main thing right we're not seeing we're not saying that we're going to see ad budgets compress meaningfully but if we don't see them growing in guidance either that's going to hold things back pretty tough and that's going to be the main thing like it's one uh, it's one facet here that you're the biggest company, you're going to make a bunch of revenue, but a lot of your revenue comes from these, you know, smaller, even more like medium sized businesses that are getting absolutely crushed by interest rates. So it's very hard to be a business right now, you know, the actual difficulty level has been turned up. And so it's really interesting to see how ad budgets are going to keep up with, I mean, consumer spending is still staying reasonably high. So does that mean that ad budgets can keep up too, or are companies trying to be as efficient as possible as more organic methods pop up? TikTok has absolutely exploded. TikTok ads work great, but TikTok organic campaigns are much cheaper and much more effective. So there's a lot of factors there as well that make us kind of think about this as a mixed bag, but we're kind of, I think the main thing we're thinking about here is seeing more of like a flatter reaction to their earnings rather than sort of the downfall we saw with um, Tesla and the absolute uproar we saw with Netflix. But with that, Justin, that does kind of get us to time. Again, there's so much to talk about. There's so much noise, not a lot of signal. We're trying to find focus in this market, but was there anything else you wanted to cover before we just went ahead and um, ended it here? Because with all the stuff happening in this market, we could legitimately talk for four hours. There's everything happening in green energy right now. There's airlines getting a little bit hammered as well. There's the ongoing geopolitical situation, which seems to be, at the very least, not turning into World War III just yet, which is deeply encouraging. But is there anything else you wanted to cover or should we kind of save that for next week as next week's at least a, a more coherent stage of earnings season at least that's what it seems like right now yeah i think for for now um you know there we we've covered a lot we we'll continue to cover more obviously through the site and through the app i think the only other thing to your point that you touched upon quickly was some of the conflict in the middle east and our outlook there and so um i think going forward to your point the U.S. doesn't seem to be getting intimately involved. They're going to want to get their hostages back, of course, but their strategy really is going to be to try and keep things as, as cool as possible and not escalate. So this looks like it's going to be a contained conflict for now. Having said that, this conflict doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, and this should be dragged out for the foreseeable future. There's going to be a lot of atro atrocities um, that we, you know, from a human perspective is is just awful. And really hope that things change um but ultimately how it impacts markets and you know just the the investing side of things because obviously that's the focus here is again we we anticipate it will be largely isolated uh to that part of the world um it shouldn't affect in the long run energy prices too much and then ultimately you know it will impact some of the exports out of those areas but um we don't see this having a material impact it's just going to be a long and horribly bloody flight. And so we are obviously praying for everyone there um, and also praying that it doesn't end up turning into World War III, but um, that's kind of the the outlook for now. And the the main highlight, you know, is is simply that it looks like it's not really turning into World War III right now. And that's the thing we just want to drive home. I feel like it, it, as a market podcast, it always feels really awful to boil these in, incredible, these tragic humanitarian situations down to their inflows and outflows. But that is the reason you come to us. We want to make sure we give you the perspective you're actually going for. And, you know, unfortunately, we do sound pretty callous while that's happening, but we're also 
obviously feeling for everyone affected by the situation as at least, you know, a, a ground invasion looks less and less likely, which is deeply encouraging in terms of uh, things. They're very, very bad, but they could have been apocalyptic real quick. So um, that's all people really want to say about that. We're, we're encouraged by other aspects, the flight to safety not happening as much as well. But for now, you know, that's a pretty solid place to end it. Justin, any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and read the credits here, man? As always, amazed we covered this much, even though we, in the end, covered so little. Yeah, no, I think this is, uh, this is a perfect place to end it. Awesome, man. Well, audience, thank you so much for listening. If you ever have any questions for us, you can find us over at hellomobi.co. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual value you get from these podcasts comes from the Moby Analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby. If you ever want to get inside of our more long-term perspective, you can find us over at app.moby.co. Sign up for a free trial, see what we got going on in terms of our long-term perspective on our markets, find our stock picks, find our portfolios, and then obviously stay on top of our email newsletter where we're going to give you sort of a pulse check of the markets every day at roundabout lunchtime you know kind of like your halftime moment here in the markets to make sure that you're staying focused especially now during earnings season when things are just so noisy right regardless we really appreciate your time thank you so much for listening audience and as always we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much <laughs>